Thank you, worship team and choir for leading us in worship this morning. And I also want to say uh, thanks to Dick and Bobby and uh, many others who helped put on just an incredible marriage enrichment weekend. Uh, really excited about the turnout. I want to say a special thanks to uh, Jeff, your pastor, for the opportunity to come and preach this morning. And so it's just a delight to be here at uh, Parkway Baptist Church. First time in Auburn, uh, but excited to be here. I've had several different friends on social media say, uh, just speak wonderful things about Auburn. Of course, uh, I've had many conversations with Dick and Jana over uh, the years and their tenure here. And I've heard many different things about the great things God has done here in your church. So like uh, Dick said, one of the things I really enjoy doing is encouraging and equipping couples and families. Did that for many years. In fact, one of the things I used to do in working with the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, I travel around and supply preach in different churches uh, just about every Sunday from small churches, even preached in one that had an outhouse out back on top of a mountain to larger churches and everything in between. And so one of the things I would like to do is go around and meet and greet people uh, and just uh, make a connection. There was one particular church that I was at in Dumas, Arkansas. In fact, that was the place where uh, uh, many of you may remember Dooley and Jamie when they were here. And when I was in that church, uh, uh, he was on staff there and I was preaching one evening and was meeting and greeting different folks. Met an older gentleman out there in the congregation. His wife was up doing something and come to find out in the course of conversation, he and his wife had been married, married 65 years. And I'm like, man, I've got to gain some wisdom from somebody who's been around the block a whole lot more times than I have. And so, so I asked him the question, I said, sir, how in the world have you been married to the same woman for so long? He just kind of kicked back in his pew and he said, well, she just married the right man. <laughs> and there is some truth in that. Of course, I wonder if his wife had been sitting next to him, if he might have said something like, well, I just married the right woman. But uh, you learn how to say those things when you've been married that uh, long. Uh, my uh, in-laws, they celebrated their 50th uh, year of marriage several years ago. And Karen and I went to their church in Garland, Texas. One of the things they do every Labor Day weekend, all the couples in their church who have celebrated 50 years of marriage, they recognize them. And one of the things they do that is really neat is they, uh, each of them shares some words of wisdom on a little note card. And this was back in 2013. These were some words of wisdom they shared, uh, some of the different couples. One couple, Car Carol and Larry, Larry says, always allow the other to speak first, then respond with, that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, some pretty wise words. Uh, Carol said, you can be right or you can be married. When dating, you find out the similarities of each other. After marriage, you find out the differences. Cheryl and Gary said, when we married as teenagers, at least one of us was a teenager, we decided to honor the Lord by praying about all their decisions, giving a tithe each month, 
and attending church faithfully. We believe God has blessed this 50 years together because we committed our marriage to him. And Monette and Bill, one of the things they said, be faithful to God, be faithful to each other, enjoy your family, treasure friends, and have as much fun as you possibly can. And just some wise words of wisdom uh, from those who have really survived the test of time in marriage. In fact, that's one of the things I love about churches. It's one of the things I saw this weekend and I see here this morning is just the different generations that are involved and engaged. There's a lot of wisdom and experience. And, and those of you who, uh, let's just say, are, are the more mature here in the crowd, uh, make sure you take the opportunity to encourage and invest and share some words of wisdom with the next generation. The next generation, don't be afraid. In fact, I would encourage you, ask some of those who are ahead of you. Uh, what, are, what are some things we need to be pray, preparing for, praying about, uh, getting ready for in that next stage, in that next season of life? And so I wonder, as you think about your life, your experience, what words of wisdom would you share with those who are coming behind? One of the things that uh, I think is vitally important, it's vitally important for churches to champion marriage. When you look at our culture, our culture definitely does not champion the biblical ideal of marriage. And one of the working definitions I've been working on for marriage is this. A Christian marriage is the sacred heterosexual union of one biologically male and one biologically born female in a lifetime commitment whereby a couple filled by God's spirit grows in holiness, serving God and one another in complementary roles, reflecting the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and procreating children who are, who are discipled to multiply godly generations. I think we need to be crystal clear on the biblical view of marriage. One of the ways I like to say it is healthy marriages produce healthy homes, which produce healthy churches, produces healthy ministry. And so I'm excited about what God has in store for your church. And we're going to look at a couple this morning uh, in the New Testament. Many of you are perhaps familiar with the couple Aquila and Priscilla. And so we're going to look, if you want to go ahead and turn in your copy of scripture to Acts chapter 18, we're actually going to look in several different passages. Acts 18 is going to be one of those. Uh, Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, and 2 Timothy chapter 4. Those are the different places in scripture where you see a reference to Aquila and Priscilla. In fact, as you look through the book of Acts, you see God working through a variety of individuals and people in a lot of different ways. And you also see, this is one of those instances where you see a couple that is engaged and involved in ministry. And so, although the points I'm going to address this morning, because this is a marriage enrichment weekend, I'm going to direct them toward couples. But if you're single, uh, if you're a widow or widower, or if you're a student, or even if you're uh, a child here, 
These will all pertain to you as well. For all of us as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, these are some things that I think God has for us. The first one I would say is this, a marriage on mission supports leaders. A marriage on mission supports leaders. I would also say a family on mission supports leaders. I would say a man on mission supports leaders. A woman on mission supports leaders. A student on mission supports leaders. Now, this really kind of sounds kind of self-serving since I'm one of those pastoral types, but I think you see this model throughout scripture. And I think we can learn from Aquila and Priscilla and how they supported some of the leaders in their day. They supported the work of Paul, Acts 18, verses two through three. And he, Paul, found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. So here we learn that Aquila and that Paul arrived in Corinth and he connected with Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, they were both tent makers, same trade and developed a relationship with them, actually lived in uh, their home. They worked together and I can't imagine what it must have been like working with the Apostle Paul and some of the things and stories that they shared, the opportunities to share the gospel, opportunities to make disciples, but they were instrumental in supporting the Apostle Paul in his ministry. In Romans chapter 16, verses three through five, Paul says this, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their lives, their necks, from my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who also, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. So one of the things you see here, the Apostle Paul recognized, recognizes Aquila and Priscilla and says, they were fellow workers. Not only that, they risked their very own life for me in ministry. They had a church in their house. And so they were very supportive of everything the Apostle Paul did. Not only were they supportive of the Apostle Paul, they were also supportive of Apollos. Jumping back to Acts chapter 18, Verse 26, he, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so they heard him preach and he was a great preacher, but still needed a, a, a little encouragement, a little discipling. So they didn't confront him in the crowd, but they pulled him aside and spent some time discipling him and encouraging him. And he became a mighty preacher for the gospel. I think one of the things you also see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19, as Paul is writing to young Timothy, who was one of the pastoral leaders in Ephesus, he's writing this very dear letter to him. And he says in 2 Timothy 4, 19, greet Priscilla and Aquila 
and the household of Onesiphorus. Now, if they continued their same kind of track record in supporting Paul and supporting Apollos, which I think they did when they were there in Ephesus with Timothy. And the reason I think they did is because Paul mentions them and says, greet them. They would have been actively engaged in supporting the ministry of Timothy as well. And perhaps hosting uh, times in their house where they were discipling people. Uh, and so how, how did they support these leaders? I think these are some things I think they did. They worked with these leaders. I believe they supported them financially. They hosted them in their homes. They extended hospitality. They traveled with them. In fact, they were willing to risk their lives for them. They helped them share the gospel. They helped them plant churches. They helped them build up churches and disciple believers. A marriage on mission supports leaders. One of those couples in my life uh, was Paul and Betty Buff. When I was called into ministry back in 1988, several years ago, uh, I remember just saying yes to God wherever, whenever, whatever. And I had no clue what that meant, where that would take me. And so I ended up, uh, while I was in college, beginning to serve as an associate pastor at a church up in Carbondale, Illinois. And while I was there at that church, I met Paul and Betty Boff. They taught the college Sunday school class. And they were incredible. Paul was a, a mailman and Betty was a seamstress. And they were faithful to teach week in and week out. And so they were always encouraging, always had a dynamic lesson to share God's word. As I got to know them and began to get more involved in ministry in Carbondale, uh, they invited me to live in their house and I rented a room from them. So my last two years of college, I, I lived with Paul and Betty Buff. I'm telling you, it was a great two years ago. Miss Betty had a home-cooked meal every evening. Every Saturday morning, she made homemade from scratch pancakes. And so I got up early every Saturday morning as a college student to enjoy that time. And so I got to see Paul and Betty uh, in ministry and learn from them. And in fact, one of the things that uh, I learned from them that I observed is how engaged and active they were in ministry. One of the things that uh, I remember that one of the ways they really supported me, I was really in a pinch. First time ever, not first time, probably about the second or third time to go supply preach at a church. And I had traveled about 45 minutes to go speak at this church. And I, I got about halfway there and thought, you know, I'm gonna, you know, you're not supposed to do this while you're driving, but I thought I'm gonna check in my, backpack and just kind of glance over my notes to make sure I'm kind of ready when I get there. There were no notes in my backpack. And I thought, well, maybe my notes are in my Bible. So I was kind of feeling around in my backpack. No Bible in my backpack. And I'm telling you, this is the second, third time to preach. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? 
and my anxiety level begins to climb. And I thought, okay, got to figure it out. When I get to this church, I'm going to sneak in. I'm going to go to a Sunday school class, find a little Bible. I'm going to jot down a little outline on John 3:16, and just wing it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know what else to do. And so as, as I walk up to this church, one of the deacons greets me and he says, did you forget something? And I'm thinking, man, does it look that obvious? <laughs> and I said, and I'm thinking, okay, is, is there somebody else that's going to uh, be here? What's, what's the deal? And he says, it's on its way. And I was like, what are you talking about? Paul and Betty had seen that I had my Bible and my notes out on their kitchen table. And so they knew where I was going to preach. And so they called the church and let them know that they could tell me that my Bible and notes were on its way. Service started. Paul and Betty aren't there. They have the first song. Paul and Betty aren't there. Second song, third song. And I'm up after the choir starts preaching. The choir starts singing. They're not there. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I'm just profusely sweating, thinking, what am I going to do? In the middle of that choir special, they show up. And I was able to preach, had my notes. It, it went well. But I, I just remember, and I'm so thankful, how they were supportive of me in leadership. And so one of the things I, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to support your leaders here. Now, you don't see a text that describes Aquila and Priscilla praying for Paul or Apollos or Timothy, but I believe they did. Because you see the Apostle Paul, even in Ephesians 6, he, he talks about praying for him and praying for his ministry. And if they spent any time with the Apostle Paul, uh, they would have that same kind of mentality. They, they would have been those prayer warrior types. And so I want to encourage you, pray for your pastor. Pray for your church staff. Pray for your Sunday school teachers and leaders here in this church. Uh, in fact, I want to just pause. You pray right now. I want you to think of Sunday school teacher, pastor, staff person. Just quietly pray where you are. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, the staff and leaders and teachers here. Lord, we pray for them. Lord, that you would continue to use them in a mighty and powerful way to make a kingdom impact here in this church and in this community. In your name we pray. Amen. I think another way that you can support your leaders is to encourage them. Send them a text, send them an email, send them a note. Uh, in fact, this is one of those instances, if you text during church, I'm okay with it. As long as you're texting them an encouraging word or note. Uh, be engaged in ministry. Uh, one of the things that is discouraging for church staff, because they want to see everybody involved and engaged. And if you're just kind of sporadic in your attendance and participation, it's kind of discouraging. One of, the, one of the best things you can do, show up consistently, and that will show support and encourage them. I think the other thing I would encourage you to do to support your leaders, give. Give your time, give your talents, give your treasure. 
And in fact, apparently a lot of that has been happening as I hear some of the stories about what God is doing in growing Parkway Baptist Church. Not only were Aquila and Priscilla supportive of their leaders, I think they were really on mission. And so the second point is this, a marriage on mission lives missionally. A marriage on mission lives missionally. So one of the things I want you to see, and several of these texts you're going to hear me refer to again and again. Acts chapter 18, verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave with the brothers and set sail for Syria and with Priscilla and Aquila. So one of the things you see, they just didn't serve with the apostle Paul in one place. They traveled with him from place to place, and they were engaged in missions and ministry, helping plant churches, share the gospel, make disciples. In 1 Corinthians 16, 19, Paul says, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house send you hearty greetings. They didn't have church buildings back there, so people hosted uh, churches in their house for Bible study, for worship. Uh, so it's very likely that their home was a revolving door of ministry. You heard me share the passage in Romans chapter 16 that Aquila and Priscilla, their fellow workers, they risked their neck. They, they, were in, they were all in, in ministry. They weren't just casual Christians. They were all in. Perhaps... Uh, some of our best friends at First Baptist Murphy, a couple that uh, Karen and I have had the opportunity to minister to and disciple, and God has really radically got a hold of their life, and they're all in. They're in, in everything we do. When we talk about, hey, we want to start some home groups, they're like, count us in to host a home group. Uh, we're going to have a fellowship. Hey, count us in. We'll host a fellowship. When we started an evangelistic outreach time in our church, they're like, count us in, we're there. And their family of seven from age nine all the way up through 18, they're all there. And they're consistently out sharing the gospel. When we started something with men's ministry, uh, the dad said, hey, count me and my boys in. We're gonna be involved and engaged. And frequently, He's asking the question, hey, how can I be praying for you? Hey, I'm praying for you this morning, praying for God to work in a mighty and powerful way. And so as you think about your life, are you engaged missionally? Are you all in and involved in ministry? Or do you just show up? I think as we look at the life of Aquila and Priscilla, we see this couple that they're all in. And so... One of the things I would encourage you to do, to live missionally, share the gospel frequently. Tell others about Jesus. I mean, we worshiped him this morning, and if we really have a clue of who he is and what we're singing about, then we need to tell that story with other people about the Jesus we sing about every Sunday. I would encourage you, think about how you can use your home as a place for ministry. Look for opportunities to serve in the church. Look for opportunities to serve out in the community. Be on mission. 
with your life, with your marriage, with your family. Perhaps some of you, you may wanna alternate. Hey, one year we're gonna do a summer vacation. Next year we're gonna do a summer missions experience. Think about ways you can be involved missionally. And then thirdly, a marriage on mission makes disciples. A marriage on mission makes disciples. And so we see this in Acts 18 as Aquila and Priscilla, they hear Apollos preach and they, they hear some things that, hey, these need to be encouraged and tweaked and they, they spend some time discipling him. And so they work with Apollos, they took him aside, they taught him the way and he eventually became this powerful voice for God in proclaiming the gospel. One of the ways that we see they're making disciples, they host a church in their home. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Again, Romans 16, Paul says, they are my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. I don't think you could have a relationship with the Apostle Paul and not be clued into evangelism and discipleship and sharing the gospel. So I'm very confident that Aquila and Priscilla, they were in. They just didn't show up they were involved in intentionally making disciples. That was one of the things that I saw with uh, Paul and Betty Buff. Uh, they were faithful to teach. Every Sunday afternoon after uh, lunch, Paul would put out, pull out his Sunday school lesson quarterly and Sunday afternoon he's starting to prepare for the next week. I mean, he was, he was all in, in teaching. and one of the things I observed about them too was uh, he loved when Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons came to their house to uh, share, and he was like, hey, come on in. And so he'd have them come in, and they would sit down, and he would engage them in conversation. And then before you know it, he would go into a little closet. He had a box <laughs> with charts and everything to share with Mormons. He had another box to share with Jehovah's Witnesses, and he was like, Man, he just let them have it, shared the gospel. I got to see that time and time again. Perhaps one of the best things that I heard from Paul and Betty though, they were all in, they were engaged, they were making disciples. One of the things that they said to me again and again and again and again, Ben, don't get so busy doing things that you can't be the person God wants you to be. Don't get so busy doing things that you can't be the person God wants you to be. Now, I've kind of changed it up a little bit. Don't get so busy doing things that you can't be the couple God wants you to be. Don't get so busy doing things that you can't be the family God wants you to be. You see, there's a lot of great opportunities in, in this community, in this church, but if you're always busy, sometimes you miss some of those opportunities that God has for you. And so a marriage on mission makes disciples. That takes time, that takes intentionality. And in fact, one of the things I would say, if you're going to make disciples, it starts in your own home first. Because if you're not making disciples in your own home, then to try to make disciples outside your home, it almost looks kind of hypocritical. And so those of you who still have children at home, I would encourage you to start there 
Be intentional about making disciples at home. Those of you who are the grandparent types, guess what? You're not done. God still wants to use you to make an impact on the next generation. Psalm 71, 17 and 18 says, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. So guess what? You're retired, whatever. Hey, I've been there, done that, put in my time. Mm -mm. Not till the day you breathe your last breath. God wants to use you in a mighty and powerful way to make disciples. And so be engaged in making disciples. Disciple your family. Disciple others in the community. In fact, you've got a great opportunity here in Auburn with the diversity of cultures here. Guess what? The world is at your doorsteps. And if you're not engaged in somehow thinking about how to connect with some of these different cultures, I mean, by leading people to Christ here in Auburn, you literally have the potential to touch the world. Because some of those students that come here, guess what? They get saved, they get discipled. They're gonna go back to some closed countries where the, uh, you can't go there and share the gospel. But if they're from there, guess what? They can so I think it's important to make disciples. Fourth thing, a marriage on mission practices hospitality. A marriage on mission practices hospitality. You've heard me mention these passages, Acts 18, Romans 16, uh, 1 Corinthians 16. They had a church in their house. It was open. They had people there all the time. They hosted the apostle Paul in their house. In fact, my wife and I have been uh, in conversation with our kids. We've got three children, 25-year-old daughter, 22-year-old son, 23-year-old son, and an 18-year-old son. Uh, we're hosting a uh, football party over at our house Sunday night, tonight. We're not gonna be there because uh, we're uh, flying out early tomorrow morning. So it's on them. And uh, before we left, we left some specific instructions. Make sure things are clean, picked up. You know what it's like when you have people coming over to the house. Uh, you got to make sure things uh, look a little bit nicer. Can you imagine hosting a church in your house day in and day out? One of my favorite stories about Dick and Jenna. When he was back in Magnolia, uh, they hosted a group of young teenage men over their house for a Bible study discipleship time. And several of those young boys are young men now, married, families, ministry. Matt Hubbard, one of those guys, is a missions pastor at one of the largest churches in the Little Rock area. Douglas McPherson is a pastor in Arlington, Texas. Uh, one of the other guys, Charlie Mooney, he's a headmaster at a Christian school in Waco, Texas. And then another guy, Andy Crump, he's a plumber. But you know what, even as a plumber, one of the things he was engaged in, he helped plant a church. They've uh, adopted three children. And every church he's been involved in, he's been an extremely active member. And there are perhaps some others that I just can't remember, but what I love about that is seeing practicing that gift of hospitality and seeing that discipleship in action 
and the spiritual fruit that has borne and is going to continue to bear for generations. So here's something I would encourage you to do. Before the end of March, invite somebody over to your house, maybe for coffee, dessert, for a meal. Before the end of May, before students head back home, invite a student over for a meal or take them out to lunch before the end of June. Look for a way to serve somebody in your community. And lastly, a marriage on mission serves together. A marriage on mission serves together. And he found a Jew named Aquila, native of Pontus, recently from Italy with his wife. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. Paul, in Romans 16, talks they are fellow workers in Christ. And he talks about greeting the church that is in their house And so you see them, they're serving together. They're engaged in ministry together. And as they're engaged in this ministry together, they're sharing the gospel. They're telling others about Jesus. It's one of the things Karen and I have loved doing in ministry together is serving together, telling others about Jesus. In fact, one of the homes we were at in Benton, Arkansas, we would have children over the house for uh, ministry opportunities, Easter, Christmas. We were frequently sharing the gospel with children and students. Incredible opportunities in serving together. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning. Lord, trusting your spirit and your word to guide us to respond in obedience to you, to the mission you've called us to. Lord, I thank you for individuals here, couples here, families here. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that hasn't heard the gospel and responded to it. Lord, I pray that they might turn from their sins And they might place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And that by doing that, Lord, they might confess you as their Lord and Savior and commit their life to serving you. Lord, I pray that there's a couple here that desires to be on mission, an individual, a family. Lord, that they might be united to this church. So Lord, I pray that you'd move in this particular time and that You would draw people to yourself, enable us to respond in obedience to your calling. In your name I pray, amen.